Hi, my name is Max. And I love Amazon. I love Amazon. Amazon is awesome. I can browse for stuff that I need, stuff that I want, and Amazon makes it all about me. See? Hi, Mark. We have recommendations for you. Shh, don't tell Amazon I have a nickname, okay? <laughs> but I love Amazon, and it, and it makes it all about me, and it puts up recommendations. And most of the time, what I see there in the recommendations are things that I think, you are so right, Amazon. Like, I totally need that. I want that. Uh, and it's, it's, it's awesome. Now, I get a little crotchety because sometimes there are two members of my family that log on to my Amazon account and, <laughs> and buy stuff. <laughs> I don't need pro-cell batteries. I mean, I'm using them right now. But, you know, and then I, I, went, I went on Amazon one day and it was nothing but cables. And I was like, ah, cables, you don't need to worry about that. You just wrap them around your arm like this and you're good to go. And <laughs> there's a few people going, oh, <laughs> that's why I don't wrap cables here. Um, sometimes, sometimes I go into Amazon and it's nothing but teacher junk, <laughs> right? And I know who's been using my Amazon account. Now, I think to myself, man, if... If everyone else could be like Amazon, if everyone else could, and it, and it could kind of cater to my needs and my, my wants and what I need in a particular situation, life would just be great. Now, yes, I'm being a bit facetious, aren't I? Yeah. The truth is, though, I think America should actually be called Amazonia. I mean, think about it. We Americans... We love to shop, we love to consume, and we have this tendency to kind of make everything about us. Now, I'm not talking about you, but you have friends. Come on. You have friends, and this is totally the case. It's no secret that America is a nation of consumers. Um, we love to shop. We define our identity based on what we own, what we wear, what we drive. I have young people in my life right now that are just majorly freaked out because they've got kids and they don't want to become the minivan family. We're not buying a minivan because of what it's going to say about them. And I think to myself, you're going to die because you're behind the wheel of a Sienna? Really? <laughs> it's a thing? Yes, it's a thing, Max. Okay? We maximize everything in our lives. We maximize everything in our lives, our college degrees, our relationships, and yes, even our marriages. I do a lot of uh, premarital counseling because I do a lot of wedding ceremonies. And when I meet a couple and sit down and talk with them, one of the questions I ask is, so why do you want to get married? And they do the traditional, well, I love him, I love her. And once they get beyond that, they move into the serious stuff. And then it changes. I he makes me so happy. I love the way I feel when I'm around her. Notice the language and sentences that they're using. In other words, when they're talking about marriage, they're talking about what this person is going to do for them. Older married people, how does that work? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um, Victor Lebeau, Victor Lebeau, actually, was an economist uh, and, and he said this in 1955. The guy was a prophet. And I'm, I'm going to do it in a, in a fake German accent because he kind of had that. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life. 
that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfactions, our ego satisfactions in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, worn out, replaced, discarded in an ever-increasing rate. 1955. So what Victor is talking about is how we Americans like to roll. And this is another particular kind of God filter. But before I get to the God filter, I need to explain how this works, okay? So here's me. Ah! Now... When you're looking at this, you need to put you there. Now, you're not me, and I'm not you, but just know this is you, right? Okay? So this is me, and here's people. I can't draw them very well, but, you know, woo! And look, they're orbiting around me. And then here's God. Remember, we're Christians, so we represent God as a triangle. And all of this stuff orbits around me, and I'm the center of what's going on. Consumerism, as it's defined, uh, is the preoccupation of society with the acquisition of consumer goods. Everything's value is determined by its usefulness to me. And when it's no longer useful, I toss it out. Hence, goodwill, storage units, right? The, the symbols of Amazonia. When the relationship is no longer benefiting me, I walk out. And that's how we Americans roll. And the same thing applies to the church. It does. There's a, fame, there's a video making the rounds right now. Church Hunters. It's a spoof off of uh, House Hunters. Um, and I run into people all the time, and I'll say, House First Church. Oh, man, we're not at First Church anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, I just, you know, I wasn't getting anything out of the sermons. Or I'll run into another friend I know, and I'll go, oh, House Christ Community oh, yeah, we're not there anymore, you know, the kids, you know, in the kids' areas, all they did was play, like, come on, can't you do something more significant? Like, I bring my kids there to learn about God, and you're just going to play for an hour? Um, I run into someone else, uh, and, and they're talking about worship. Man, yeah, you know, I just go every other week now because, you know, I love Brad, but, man, when Lisa re leads worship, I mean, she brings it, okay? And I could just channel God, and this is all, remember, when people are using these phrases, what we're using is the phrases we use about the rest of life, right? Because if it's not useful or beneficial to me, cut it off. It has no value other than its value in being useful to me. Sky Jethany calls this God filter, life from God. So if I could draw that out without making the speaker squeak. So again... Here's God. We're going to draw him as a triangle. Hi, God. Feeling pointy today? Well, yes, I am, Max. Okay. Here's, here's us. And look, God is giving us something. Yay, God. I love it when God gives gifts. God is a giver, you know. And so we have this particular God filter. When we have this particular God filter, we are basing our relationship on God based on God supplying what we need or desire. And at the end of the day, we want those things more than we want God. And that's today's bottom line. This particular God filter, God's here to supply what we need or desire. And at the end of the day, we want those things more than we want God himself. The extreme version of this in our society is called the prosperity gospel. It's famous. It's everywhere. Um, it's called health and wealth, or name it and claim it. 
Um, and it's usually big-haired people from Texas. I don't know why, but it's, <laughs> it's a thing, okay? Big-haired people from Texas who will say things like, God wants to enlarge your territory. Today is, this year is your breakthrough year. I feel there's going to be an advance. God wants to prosper your hand. And these are the phrases in language. And usually there's a, you need to sow a seed of faith so that God can grow it into a mountain of blessing. Um, when we do this, when we live this way, we're kind of just living life like the rest of Americans or the rest of Amazonians. We're only, the only thing that's different for us is that we slap a Jesus sticker on the back of our consumption and enriching our own lives, okay? Um, so when we value God's gifts to us more than we value God himself, we're not much better than the prodigal son. And I, I want to wade into the story of the prodigal son this week and in two weeks on Mother's Day, and I want to flesh some things out that maybe you've never considered in that particular story that Jesus tells. The prodigal son, in terms of this idea of life from God, the prodigal son is the younger son who demanded his inheritance from his wealthy and generous father. And when he got the money, he walked away from the relationship. He didn't want a relationship with his dad. He just wanted his dad's money. And in a sense, that encapsulates life from God. So let's, let's look at the story of the prodigal son. Really, this man, this man had two lost sons. And again, I'll get into that in a couple of weeks. Uh, but Jesus tells the story, and it's the third of three stories that he tells to make a point. Jesus was getting in trouble with people with a particular God filter. They had the life under God filter. And one of the rules in that life under God filter is that there's good people and bad people. You don't associate with the bad people. You keep clear of them. You be, come out and you're separate from them. And so uh, Jesus got in trouble because he would celebrate and have parties with bad people, tax collectors, these are people that collected taxes for the Roman Empire. Rome is abusing the nation of Israel, God's nation. Uh, and they were also, tax collectors were crooks, right? They were always pilfering and pocketing a portion of what they extolled through the Roman army. And then sinners. Sinners is a category of people. Um, we don't understand what that term means, but if I could explain it this way, it's a category of people that as soon as someone were to say, oh, that person's a sinner, you'd be like, oh. So imagine we're at a dinner party together. I come up to you and I have a friend with me and I say, oh, I'd like you to meet my friend Gary. And you say, oh, hi, Gary. And you put out your hand and shake Gary's hand. You say, Gary, what do you do? And Gary says, oh, I'm a pedophile. Right? In that moment, you're like, I just shook his hand. Like, you know, you're majorly weirded out. You're probably taking steps back, right? That's getting in the ballpark of how this played out in the first century. And Jesus is in trouble because he's hanging around with these people. This whole section culminates in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, when Jesus says this. He says, uh, let me get it on the right page. For the Son of Man keep to, came to seek and save those who are lost. So Jesus is making a point, and he tells these three stories. A lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son, Something lost is found, there's a celebration. If heaven is celebrating, we should celebrate too, right? So Luke 15, 11 and 12. Sorry for the extra background. I don't charge extra for that. All right, Luke 15, 
and verses 11 and 12. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. Now, Judaism emphasized the need for older fellas that had property not to, get, not to inherit it off too soon because you might need that, right? It was frowned upon. The other thing you need to know is that he's the younger son and things back then weren't fair like they are now. The, the, if there were two sons, the older son got a double portion. So in a $100,000 estate, he would have gotten $66,000 of value. The younger son would have gotten a third. Uh, the older son gets twice the amount of everyone else. Um, cool, I know. The older, those of you that are older are like, you know, we could probably pass that through Congress. I think that's a good law because, you know, we have to take care of mom and dad, okay? So a few days, right? So the way it's supposed to work is that even though as an older father, the, the land might technically belong to your sons, you would live off the income of it. And then when you died the sons would begin getting the income off of it. At any rate, this is scandalous. If you tell this story in the Middle East, in places of Africa, on the continent of Africa, they still go nuts. They will say, oh, this son? Yeah, this father should definitely give this son something, and I'll tell you what this father should give this son and asking for the inheritance. And it's not the inheritance, by the way, okay? So, verses 13 through 16. A few days later... A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the, young man, uh, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything." A few days later, this was his plan all along to leave home and to leave his father. He doesn't want a relationship with his dad. In asking for his inheritance, he's basically saying to his dad, I wish you were dead already. The younger son didn't value his father, only what his father could give him. This is life from God at its core. And we behave just like this young man when we sing, how great is our God, but our hearts are set on what God can give us instead of God himself. The Old Testament has a word for this. You know what the Old Testament word for this is? Idolatry. That's the Old Testament word, idolatry. An idolater is someone who values any created thing more than the creator of all things. And let's be honest, American consumers are really closet idolaters. We worship our stuff. Uh, uh, I wonder if Americans could, if you pinched them in a corner in there and they were honest, if we Americans would say something to the effect of, hey God, I love the whole Egypt thing. I mean, that was awesome, parting the Red Sea and Jesus dying for my sins on the cross. That's like, wow, I don't even have any words. But you know, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately, God? Right? So, verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. 
commentators universally agree, this is legitimate repentance. I've sinned against heaven and you. This kid isn't just conspiring to get something in his belly. He's come to his sense. He's realized, oh, oh, oh. My dad, my dad, my home, what I walked away from, and he can't do anything. He's, he took his inheritance. It's gone. So in coming back as a hired hand, I almost wonder if in his mind what he's thinking, well, you know, my older brother, Gary, Dennis, whatever, would have a Jewish name, by the way. <laughs> my older brother's got it all, but maybe over the course of the rest of my life, I can pay back part of what I squandered being stupid. And so off he goes. I was wrong. And that's the next section. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill that calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. While a long way off, so the dad is actively looking for his son to return on a regular basis. A ring is a symbol of authority. A robe is given to a guest of honor. Sandals, come on, only the poor go barefoot. My son's not going to go barefoot, right? Sky Jethany puts it this way. Again, this is from the book With. When we look at God, we may see a divine vending machine to dispense our desires. But when God looks at us, he sees his child created in his image who is holy and dearly loved. In, in light of the fact that America trains us to be consumers, in light of the fact of how God feels about wanting relationship with us and us valuing him more than what he can do for us, I want to ask a couple of questions. Can you think of something that you value highly that God doesn't? Can you think of something that you treasure that God doesn't? If you could have all the benefits and blessings that come from faith without the need to pray or commune with God, would that appeal to you? Would you be like, I'm in? What does that say about God's place in your life? So I try to be practical, and I admit this has been hard. It's hard with this thinking, changing the way, thinking about how you think series, okay? But seek God. Seek God. In Hebrews 11, uh, he puts it this way. And I don't know who wrote Hebrews, but the writer puts it this way. And it is, it, it is impossible. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and God rewards those who sincerely seek him. You seek God, he'll reward you with his presence. He'll let you find him, in a sense. Uh, in my 20s, I was desperate for God's presence. And I would take my lunch break. I worked, uh, I was doing roofing. And I would take my lunch break. And I would go to this uh, quiet, dark place. And I would pray for an hour. Because that's all I got for a lunch break. <laughs> 
And it seems crazy, but God, after months of this, God showed up. And I can't describe the peace. I can't describe the sense of well-being. The, the, I, I felt like I could almost reach out and touch Jesus. And, you know, mysticism is a word that some people use to describe those types of experiences, right? If, and it gave me a glimpse of, oh, resurrected life where there's no death, there's no brokenness like that. If that's a glimpse of that kind of feeling, whoa, I'm in. Count me in. God is amazing, right? The second thing I would say is be careful with things and possessions. For me, this may not be you, but for me, in order to treasure God, I've had to hold on loosely to things. So when people want to borrow my kayaks, my cars, my tools, I lend them out because I have a tendency to be OCD, perfectionist, right, da-da-da-da. The old pre-Jesus me would be like, no, you can't have that, you can't borrow that. But in letting people borrow stuff and dent it and use it, bring about rusted and things like that, it helps train my heart <laughs> not to have value those things more than people because God loves people so much. He loves me, loves them too. Um, take up other people's concerns. And this is beyond your kids or your spouse. When, when you ha have in your heart a legitimate mm, for someone else and their concern, again, it helps break that the world revolves around me thing that you and I kind of drink just by living in America. Read one of the gospels. If this is a filter that you're like, okay, yeah, my primary interfacing with God is, hey, could you do this? Hey, could you give me an A on that? Hey, could you provide rent? Hey, God, could you, could you please? Read the Gospel of John. John is full of Jesus saying, I am, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, and you're not. <laughs> Remain in me. That's the only way to live. I came so that you can have life, <laughs> okay? John's a good Gospel to read. Last, um, and this is primarily for those of us in the room that are younger, don't avoid unpleasant experiences. Unpleasant experiences um, can help us grow and become more Christ-like. Now, I'm not saying, you know, embrace suffering, try and have hardship in your life, but uh, what I am saying is that pain, pain can tell you that things are not well with your, with your life. Uh, and I've discovered that most of my growth as a person has come through hard things, not easy things, right? And this has, again, helped me to treasure God. Here, here's why this is important, right? One, I've already said this. When we value what God can do more than what uh, God himself, we become idolaters. And my read, again, of the Bible is that God's not a big fan of idolatry. Remember the prophets? Oh, I'm going to tear down your Asherah poles. I'll show you. I'm going to send the Assyrians in, right? He got kind of cranky. Um, secondly, when we value what God gives us more than we value God himself, we miss out on shalom. We miss out on the peace of God's presence. And at the risk of sounding absolutely mystic, uh, there was a study that was done by San Diego State University, and they tracked students from the Great Depression to 2015. This is their conclusion. Researchers found that students today feel much more isolated, misunderstood, and emotionally sensitive or unstable than in previous dec decades. In addition, teens today are more likely to be narcissistic. Now, that's a big word, but what it means is, I'm the center of the universe and everything revolves on me, 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 myself and I, the 
orbit thing we just drew, like, okay, that's narcissism, um, have poor self-control and to say they're worried, sad, and dissatisfied with life. Do you know what Jesus says in the face of that? The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I hope, I hope that you will over time begin to value and treasure God himself more than what just God can do for you. Because in doing so, you will experience a rich and satisfying life. You will have a peace that the world cannot 